Well, as we get ready to turn to the scriptures, let's uh, turn to the Lord first and ask for his help. <clears throat> uh, the scriptures say, apart from you, we can do nothing. On the one hand, that sounds very bleak for us in our own capabilities, but it sounds very glorious when we walk in your capabilities. Lord, we worship you this morning because you are our only help. We worship you this morning because you have um, saved us. We worship you this morning because you have set our feet on solid ground. We worship you because you have not forgotten us. We worship you because you have um, prepared a future for us beyond this life. Uh, we worship you because you have both loved us and given us a love for you and for one another. And I pray this morning that the Holy Spirit would speak. I pray that his message would find its mark in all of our hearts and that uh, the upshot would not simply be a few minutes spent together uh, with me talking, but the upshot would be um, help, greater understanding that produces greater impact uh, in the world you've placed us in, whether that's our neighborhoods, um, our church, uh, or further beyond. Uh, thank, you for, thank you for your faithfulness to us, even when we are faithless. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you men know that there is a list somewhere of things every guy should have? How many of you guys are aware of that list? Really? I mean, like, it's basic. Uh, like, you should have a shampoo that smells differently than your wife, wife's and should be packaged differently. Got, nobody knew that? Is anybody home here? It's really... Like, here's one of the things on, this, on that list. Every guy should have a pressure washer. Yeah, that's, now we're getting there. Uh, I rented one a couple years ago, too. I, I have a very light-colored siding on my house, and, uh, you know, of course, the north side gets green and ugly, so I rented one. And, you know, when I wrote the check for that rental, I'm like, dude, I've got to buy me one of these. This is going to get expensive. So I finally got my new toy last week. And uh, so I did part of the house that was really bad. And then Friday night, I started in on my patio. Now, we put in a patio about 12 years ago. And it turned from a nice gray, tan color to an ugly, blackish green color. And uh, so I was out there um, spraying away and just having the time of my life. Um, that's in quotes. I was, getting, I was also spraying the pergola, so I was getting wet, and of course, if I'd get the wrong angle, I'd get it all over. I was uh, like just nasty looking from head to toe. And all of a sudden, um, does everybody know what this is? That just dawned on me. This is a power washer. Um, all of a sudden, I, I didn't have any water coming out of the end anymore, and what, what happened? And there was no sound coming out of this. So I did know what happened, right? I, what happened? I ran out of gas. I'd been doing it way too long. Ran out of gas. And now, here's the thing about that. 
By the way, on that list is a power driver. So guys, if you don't have a power driver, you should go right out today and buy one at Lowe's. Really, it's, it's an essential. There's other things on that list you can see me about. So I ran out of gas, went and put more gas in. Now, I knew it ran out of gas because of the sound and because of what wasn't coming out of the wand and so forth. A.W. Tozer wrote back in the 1960s, and, and Tozer was my second to favorite theologian, despite the fact that he never went to seminary, never went to Bible college. In fact, he never even went to high school. But he was considered a prophet in his day because of his observations of the church. And I read this probably 30 years ago, and it still haunts me today. He said, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from today's church, 95% of what we do would continue, and nobody would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop, and everybody would know the difference. I'm going to talk about power today, specifically, and we'll talk about power in our personal lives to be transformed next week, but today, talk about a power in our uh, ministry, power in our ministry. And I want you to think right now about the ministries that you are involved in, or are involved in from time to time. We just finished VBS, and I know some of you serve that year after year. Think about the ministries you're involved in, so whether it's VBS or <clears throat> teaching a Bible study, or you're a greeter, or an usher, you're on the mission leadership team, uh, or you're part of the worship team. I want you to think about all the ministries that you're involved in, care team leader, or maybe just a member of a care group, because it's a ministry as well. You minister to each other. Now I want you to ask the question of yourself, do I minister in the power of the Holy Spirit? Do I minister in my fleshly power? Now, part of the challenge in trying to answer that question is, how would I know? Uh, because, as Tozer tried to point out, we, we, we can continue, we can run this engine of the church and do all the things that we do in the flesh and not know it. There, there, it's not like a, a sound suddenly stops, you know. It's not like the water's no longer coming out. We're going through the motions. We're doing the stuff. But it's not having any spiritual fruit. And don't assume that because, uh, you know, I know that the Spirit is at work through my ministry because I see this immediate fruit. Make no mistake about it. Uh, to a large degree, much of what we do only has fruit that is seen down the road, far down the road. So I want you to wrestle with that question this morning as we look at some scripture and say, are the things that I do in ministry, are they done in the flesh? Are they done in, through my own strength and my own power? Or are they done through the almighty, uh, overcoming power of the Holy Spirit in my life working, working out through me? I have two points in my message this morning, I think, anyway. I, uh, I, I changed this a bunch this morning. So if you, have a, uh, if you happen to have an uh, outline in your hand, it might look a little different. I did a bunch of changes in the last hour. <clears throat> first, one is a, first point is a statement. Not all ministry matters. And the second one is a question. Is an empowered ministry automatic or is it manual? If you know transmissions and cars, you know what I'm talking about. 
is an empowered ministry automatic? Does it happen automatically or is there something I must do? First of all, not all ministry matters. And what I mean by that is what we just talked about. There's a, there are ministries that we do. There are things that we, um, ministries that we carry out that are going to have no ultimate impact because we're just doing them in our own strength and our own abilities. So that's what I mean by not all ministry matters. Uh, let's start in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We've looked at this verse a number of times, and actually in the last number of months, we were back in it several times during our uh, sermon series on missions. Well, we're going to just look at two examples this morning. I would love if we would have examples in the New Testament of uh, how empowered ministry or what empowered ministry looks like uh, as a greeter in a local church or, or as a member of a, a worship team in a local church. But we don't have a lot of examples of that, so we'll just work with what we have. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus, this is right before Jesus went back to heaven and he talks to his uh, disciples saying that the Holy Spirit is going to uh, give them this power to witness. Verse 8, <clears throat> but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. If I understand this correctly, the first sentence leads to the second one. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And as a result, you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Now this, uh, my guess is that if asked, most of us would say probably the hardest ministry we could imagine would be talking to somebody about Jesus. It just frightens most of us and intimidates most of us. Um, the seed week that we keep talking about, we had a group of people uh, up in New York City working with International Project uh, back in June for a week. They would, in the morning, they would receive uh, training and then they would pray together and then they would hit the streets and just go up to random people and say, is there something I can pray with you about? And hope to ignite uh, gospel conversations. And that happened in a number of instances. And I know at least one of the uh, people that were up there said that was the hardest thing I have ever done in my life. And yet there was also a conversation saying it was the hardest, but it was the, it was the best. It was the most amazing thing. <clears throat> I'm thinking one of the reasons that it's hard for us is simply because we don't do a lot of it. I'm thinking one of the reasons that it's hard for us is maybe that we're not sure how to go about it. But I'm also thinking one of the reasons it's so hard for us is we think about it in terms of what will I say? How, how do I get the conversation started? Um, what am I gonna say if they ask me a question that I don't know how to answer? And on and on and on. And Jesus says this very hard thing that's going to be very intimidating for you is I'm going to give you what you need to do it. And I wonder if we simply thought about evangelism along the lines of I'm going to dive in and, and God has to show up. I, Holy Spirit has to speak through me because I really don't know what's going to happen. I, I'm so intimidated. I sat down with a couple of people on Friday um, who were at Seed Week and who are talking about doing a mini Seed Week here at Keystone. So watch for information on this in your bulletin. Have a Saturday. We come together and... Um, 
do some training and then pray and ask God Holy Spirit to work in us and then we go to the park in paradise or into the city of Lancaster and as we're having this conversation I I told them I said I, I don't think I could do what you did up in New York City and then they're talking about doing this mini seed week here at Keystone and I'm thinking oh man I'm one of the pastors I'm probably gonna need to go to that <laughs> and I was working on this message later in the day and I'm thinking this, this is the whole point the whole point is that God never intended for me to be able to do stuff on my own power with my own smarts and you know sometimes we look at people who <clears throat> excuse me we look at people who are very gregarious very outgoing who can talk to anybody about anything and we think oh they're the evangelists among us no they're the salesmen among us the evangelists need the power of the Holy Spirit to break through all of the opposition all of the fears that we have the insecurities and so we need God because we can't do this and we were never meant to do this why do you think Jesus said wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes on you because you can't do this on your own and I need you to be able to be effective if I had the time I would tell you the story um, I don't have time. Tell you the story about um, a wonderful example of somebody that didn't think they were doing much. And this is, this is, a, this is kind of a side note to our message. How many times when God the Holy Spirit is working in our ministries, things are happening that we, would, we will probably never see or know about. But they are happening. And as, as I said, this is one of the problems. It's not like a power washer that runs out of gas we don't see immediate fruit or maybe we don't see any fruit and we assume nothing happened but when God is at work something always happens when God is at work something always happens when I'm at work often nothing happens but the fact that we don't see it or the fact that we don't see it now does not mean it's not happening so hit me up later if you want to hear the story it takes about five minutes so power to witness, power to witness requires the Holy Spirit, gives us the, this ability to do things that we can't do and the ability to make impacts that we could never make with our own skills. Secondly, we're given the power by the Holy Spirit to serve well in any capacity. Turn over just a couple of verse, uh, chapters, Acts chapter 6, <clears throat> beginning of verse 1. Early church... Uh, people had come to Jerusalem for Pentecost. Uh, Jews had come to Jerusalem for Pentecost from all over the world. Uh, Peter preaches this great sermon, and the Holy Spirit, not because Peter's a great preacher, but the Holy Spirit working through Peter, uh, 3,000 people come to Christ that day. And they decide, because they don't know any better, that they'll just stay in Jerusalem because they think Jesus is coming back like in a couple of weeks. So what's the point in going back to our homes? And so their church is meeting every day. There are, there are literally thousands of people that are, now need to be housed and they need to be fed and they need to be cared for. And, and so a problem develops. Verse 1, but as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. This should be, this should be somewhat reassuring to us as we think about the early church as kind of a pristine, perfect, idyllic place, group of people. But they had problems as well. 
rumblings of discontent, the Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. And so the 12 called a meeting of all the believers and they said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. This is a reminder that each has its calling, each has its assignment in the body of Christ. We're all necessary, we all have certain things that God asks us to do. No one is less significant than another and no one is more important than another. And so the 12 called a meeting of all the believers. The 12 would have been Jesus' disciples who are now uh, called apostles, that is, ones sent with authority. The 12 called a meeting of all the believers and they said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are what? Full of the spirit and wisdom. We'll give them this responsibility and then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Now Joyce, I don't know, when you took over our kitchen, our food ministry, I don't know if anybody sat you down and examined you to see if you were full of the spirit. I'm sure you are. But isn't it interesting, we'll have this kind of scrutiny with church elders and pastors and so forth, but it's, it's almost as if we assume other ministries don't, that's not required. So if you're a greeter or you're an usher or you, you uh, staff the information center or you are um, working in the nursery or you're on the worship team and on and on and on, we don't need you to be full of the spirit, but we do. God does. He wants us in all of our ministries to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that our ministry can bear fruit as opposed to simply keeping the machinery going, running through the steps, taking care of business. I mean, how many of us when we are coming to our ministry assignments think, okay, I'm on nursery duty today or I'm teaching Sunday school today and, and I... Okay, did I do this? Did I do that? Am I ready for it? And, and it, it's, a, it's a checking off the list. It's like our task list. And now we can cross that off and now we go about our business not realizing this is a holy encounter. I mean, listen, you guys that are working out in the parking lot and you interact with people as they come by, you have no idea the potential for impact that you have. I'll never forget the story years ago I heard um, I used to listen to John MacArthur on the radio and I got a hold of a tape. I don't know how I got a hold of this, but I got a hold of a tape of a broadcast he did and there was other material on the tape. By the way, for those of you who are young, tape is an early CD. There was other material on this tape that included a baptismal service at Grace Community Church. And there was one, this one woman that was giving her testimony. She had come to Grace Community. Uh, she was in a time of crisis in her life and she thought, well, maybe I need some religion in my life. And so she's driving around looking at churches trying to decide where she's gonna pop in. And she drives past Grace Community Church and she notices how immaculate their flower beds are. There's no weeds, they've got sharp edges along the, along the outer perimeter. And this thought occurs to her, I bet if they can take care of their flowers like that, they could take care of me. She came to the church. She heard the gospel. She came to Christ. 
and she was baptized and gave a testimony about flowers. Listen, I don't care what ministry you are involved in. God means to use that for the glory of Christ and for the help of people around you. And you have no idea what something small might do in the life of someone else and how it might serve the Lord's purposes. No idea. Oh, boy. There we are. I thought the wind blew it away, Tom. Now, I might ask one thing here about you and your ministry and me and my ministry. Do you feel competent in your ministry? Do you feel competent? And I might suggest this. If you do, that might not be the best thing. If you feel like you can go, you can show up for your Sunday school class or you can show up for your, your parking lot duties, uh, show up for the worship team, and I know I could do this with my eyes shut. That's a problem. Because it probably speaks about your own confidence in your own abilities. And God never intended for us to be competent or confident in our own abilities. He wants us to be confident in his competency. Corrie Ten Boom made the comment, she said, trying to do the Lord's work in your own strength is the most confusing, exhausting, and tedious of all work. But when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, then the ministry of Jesus just flows out of you. So let me ask you, do you come to your ministries and you're just going to show up? No preparation, no prayer, no asking God for a filling. Or do you come recognizing that in the ministry you've been called to do, you have a glorious, sacred responsibility to be used as a vessel of the Lord? Not to do it in your own strength, in your own power, because that bears no fruit. It might look like it does, but in the last days, it will all show, whether it's wood, hair, stubble, or gold, silver, and precious jewels. Do you feel competent? I'm not convinced that's the best. The other question might be, do you feel inadequate? And I'm not sure if you feel inadequate, you're not in a better position than those who feel competent. Because when we are inadequate, what do we do when we're inadequate? When we feel like we're inadequate in our jobs, we, we maybe get some more training, we go for some help to our boss, uh, we do some reading and so forth. Inadequacy is a, is a reminder of need that yet remains. And we seek to find what can help in this area of need. And when it comes to ministry, a neediness is a great platform to, by, uh, from which to cry out to God and to seek his face and his help in our ministry. Now that brings us to the question, is an empowered ministry by the Holy Spirit, is it automatic or is it manual? And you think about your transmission in your car, if you uh, back out of the driveway, you put it in drive, and your car accelerates all by itself up through the gears, you have an automatic. You don't have to do anything with it. But if you have a really cool kind of car, you have to do all the work yourself. 
Now, be careful here. I don't want you to misunderstand. I'll try to make this clear as we get through this. <clears throat> Here's the problem with some, uh, we're going to get into this language, the charismatic, non-charismatic. Here at Keystone, we are not charismatic, but we are not anti-charismatic. We believe in the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen? <laughs> we believe in all the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen? That was a little weaker. And, uh, but some people teach that the Holy Spirit comes into you and now everything is positioned for all that you need from there on out. And so um, we don't really need to seek God for anything, anything else. So that's what I mean by automatic. The Holy Spirit comes upon us at salvation, and so now we have everything. There's nothing else we need to solicit from God. If it's manual, what I don't mean is you doing your ministry in your own power, but what I mean is that you solicit, that you seek God for the power in your ministry again and again and again and again. I was sitting with a friend a couple of weeks ago and he was telling me a story about a close relative of his who had been um, hospitalized again and again and again and again in psychiatric wards. He's a Christian. And he said, a day came when she found uh, someone else, that, a good friend of hers, that seemed to have been transformed. And she asked her what happened to her. She said, I, I prayed for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so this woman went to the Lord and she, she said, Lord, I, I, whatever, I don't want to have any hindrances. Whatever you have for me, I, I want. And the Lord changed her changed her in such a radical degree that her husband began to wonder what happened to her. And she had decided she wasn't going to tell him anything. It took him about two months to work up the nerve, say, what is wrong with you, woman? I didn't say it quite like that. And she told him. And it was transformational in her life. So there would be some that would say, we need to seek the baptism of the Spirit. There's, a, there's a, a conviction that some kind of special work happens one time somewhere down the road after salvation in Christians' lives, or at least in some Christians' lives. And I would say, uh, I'm not quite there, but I have a... I agree with a piece of that. And here's what I mean by that. So first, um, let's, let's have you look at these scriptures. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. First Corinthians 12, 13. Some of it. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. He's talking about in the, in the church, in the body of Christ. But we have all been baptized into one body by the Spirit, and we all share the same Spirit. Now, 
I understand that to mean, number one, every Christian has the Spirit. Uh, Romans 8, 9 makes this absolutely clear as well. You, you, you either have the Spirit or you're not saved. So it's not like the only certain super Christians uh, get the Spirit, you, you get the deluxe package and other people don't. We all have the Spirit and Paul says here that uh, that Spirit baptism is what places us at, into the church, into the body of Christ, makes us a member not of a local church but of the worldwide fellowship. That's a, that's a single baptism that occurs in all Christians. However, I, I would argue and I might use a di little different language, but let me, let me try to um, encompass a variety of positions. I would say that I think God gives us multiple baptisms or maybe multiple fillings with the Holy Spirit. And just to give you an example, Acts, uh, take, go, take it to Acts chapter 1, verse 5. And don't get lost in theology here because... Uh, my point is, if this is the case, then in our ministries, we need to constantly go back to the Lord and cry out for the power of the Spirit, as opposed to simply saying, I'm going to show up to, for my responsibilities. I have the Holy Spirit in me. End of story. There's nothing I need to do to seek some great work of God through my ministry. Acts 1 verse 5, Jesus says, um, do not leave, uh, let's start in four. Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. So Jesus talking to his disciples right before his ascension back into heaven. John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. All right, we know that's what happened at Pentecost, right? The Holy Spirit was poured out. We talked about it last week, tongues of fire descend on the people uh, people's heads, the sound of a rushing wind going through the building, and then they all begin to speak in tongues. So the Holy Spirit's poured out in Pentecost. They're baptized in the Spirit. Is that the end of the story? No. In other words, now they have the Spirit, and can they just go on, and they have everything they need. There's nothing that they do. They have an, they have an automatic shifter rather than manual shifter. Well, let me take you to chapter 4 of Acts. Chapter 4, beginning of verse 30. <clears throat> so this is part of the prayer. Uh, Peter and John had been in prison. They're released now. They're back together. Uh, they're praising God for what, um, uh, that, that these men have been released. And they're crying out to the Lord. And they get to verse 30 and they say this. Stretch out your hand with healing power may miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. This is a reminder that the Holy Spirit is the power. Remember last week we said that the Holy Spirit is, uh, as Spurgeon said, the shy member of the Trinity. Um, John chapter 16, verses 13 and 14, his, his purpose is to point to Jesus, not to point to himself. And so they say, uh, they want to see signs and wonders done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And this is what happens as a result. After this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were what? They were filled with the Holy Spirit. These, these people had already see, received the holy, holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2. They had already received the Spirit, but they pray and ask God for great power to do things that only he can do and as a result the meeting place shook they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and then 
as a result, they preached the word of God with what? With boldness. In other words, that was the work of the Holy Spirit in response to their prayers. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, that we looked at last week. It says, do not be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So I want to say, I think that God is saying in the word that you need to, you need to come to me as my ministers again and again and again for whatever ministry you're doing and plead with me for another work of grace and infilling. Every Sunday morning I come here, I beg God for him to do what I can't do. Because I know I have no power in myself. I know I'm not smart enough. I know I'm not good enough to actually make a, make a difference. God has to show up and make a difference through me. And if he has to, in spite of me. And the same is true with you, whether you teach a Sunday school class or whether you do a parking lot ministry or whether you're a greeter or an usher. If you want to have spiritual fruit come out of your ministry, I think you need to cry out to God before you come to teach that class, before you come to do your usher work, before you come to minister to the young people on a Sunday night or a Wednesday night. And that apart from that, we can do nothing. Meaning, we can do it, we can spin our wheels, we can go through the motions, but ultimately not bear any fruit. Let me take you to one last scripture, Luke chapter 11. This is a... This was a passage that puzzled me for many, many years. And I don't know that I have it right yet, but I, I have a new take on it. I was listening to a message by uh, Francis Chan last week on the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and he was going through and he was talking about, and I see this here in this passage. And then I, and then I see this over here in this passage. It doesn't seem to look like the same thing about the Holy Spirit's work. And I'm like, God, seriously? And then he goes, and I wrote a book on the Holy Spirit. And so if we think we have all of this stuff uh, positioned nicely and neatly, that's probably the time that we don't. Luke chapter 11, verse 11, beginning of verse 11. Jesus says, you fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask you for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if, you're sin, if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And, I, and I'm reading that as a post-Acts Christian saying, what do you mean, you gotta ask for the Holy Spirit? No, the Holy Spirit comes upon us at conversion and we all have the Holy Spirit but as I, I began to wrestle with, does Paul speak about the baptism of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, the same way that Jesus speaks about him in the baptism of the Spirit in Acts chapter 1, verse 5? I came to the conclusion, I don't think so. In other words, that Jesus was speaking about this, this kind of thing here, this repeated asking, not asking for the uh, Holy Spirit's presence, but asking for the Holy Spirit's power. We have the presence in us 
but release this power within me, Lord. Father, use me this morning as I preach. Father, use me this morning as I teach these little three-year-olds. They don't have any concept about most of the things I'm talking about. So you plant seeds for years to come. Father, as, as I stand in the parking lot and I greet people that are coming by, use me, use my words, speak through me for the good of these people that are coming to this church this morning. Because I'm not competent and I'm not adequate. I'm flirting with telling you the story. How many songs do we have? Two. All right. So I'm going to tell you a story. This comes out of uh, Jim Cimbala's book. Uh, Jim's the pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle, New York City. Uh, his book, Fresh Faith, from about 2001. And here, here, uh, this touches on the, the uh, frustration that I think many of us have that we can't uh, always, and I would say most often, we can't see the fruit of our ministry. And, and that, I think, is one of the things that can lead us to become cavalier about our ministries and not really put that much into it, not really worry that much about it, and, 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 and not seek the power of God. Because we, we, if we seek the power of God, we don't see anything different than, than if we do seek the power of God, or if we don't. And so it's like, ah. So back 98 years ago, there was a young couple from Sweden that felt the call of God to go to Africa. And they went to what is today the Democratic Republic of the Congo. It was Belgian Congo back then. David and Svia Flood had a little two-year-old boy they took with them. They went to the mission station that was already established there in Congo. Uh, but they and another Swedish couple by the name of the Ericsons uh, were convinced that God wanted them somewhere else other than this station where the missionaries were. And they prayed and they sought the Lord and they asked him uh, f to direct them and they felt called to go into this more remote place. They went to a, a village that they knew was there and they got there and the chief was not interested at all in having them come. He was afraid that they would, um, they would upset the local gods and so the four uh, went up the mountainside a little bit further and built their little huts there. And the only contact they had with the village was a little boy that would come up the mountain twice a week and sell them eggs and chickens. They'd go back down the mountain. After a time, Svea uh, became pregnant. And uh, she continued to have this interaction with this little boy and no interaction with the rest of the villagers and she thought well if I if I only have contact with one person I'll try to lead this little boy to Jesus and eventually she did pregnancy goes on it's soon time for delivery and the chief relented uh, his kind of animosity toward them he relented enough to, to send a midwife from the village to help her give birth to this little baby girl and she did it was a hard hard delivery though and Svia and her husband David had been plagued with malaria, bouts of malaria along the way, and, and she was so weak. And so even though she successfully gave birth, uh, just a couple of weeks later, she passed away. And her husband was furious. Something snapped in him, and he buried his wife in this crude grave, and he took his little newborn daughter over to the Ericsons. He said, uh, he said, God's taken my wife. He said, I, I obviously can't take care of this newborn. I'm going to leave her with you, and I'm going back to Sweden. 
And that's what he did. Took his son, went back to Sweden. The Eriksons took care of, her name was Aini, A-I-N-E, Swedish name, took care of her until about eight months later and they came down with some mysterious illness and inside of a couple of days, both of them died. Someone from the village came and got this little girl, carried her down the mountain on his back, took her to the mission station, left her there. And there was an American couple that took her in and they renamed her Aggie, a more Americanized name. And, and they went, she was three years old. They went back home to the U.S. for home assignment, North Dakota. And when it came time for them to go back to Africa, they were nervous about going there. They were afraid that somehow legalities would take place that would keep them separated from Aggie and they would lose her. And they decided to stay and minister in North Dakota. And that's how... Aggie grew up in North Dakota, went to Bible College in Minneapolis, met a young man there, Dewey Hurst, they got married, went into ministry, and eventually her husband became uh, president of a college, Christian college, in Seattle, Washington. And their life went on, and a day came, and it was interesting, Aggie discovered that Seattle and the Northwest is a place where there's a lot of Swedish influence. And one day, a, a Swedish magazine in a Swedish language appeared in her uh, mailbox, and she hadn't ordered it. She didn't know where it came from. She's thumbing through the pages, and all of a sudden, she froze, because there on a page was a photograph of a crude grave with a white cross and the name Sphia Flood on it. She got in a car, trembling, raced to the college. There was a faculty member there who uh, knew Swedish. She gave him the article, and she asked him to tell her what it said. And he read it, and he summarized. He said, well, there was a little boy in a Congo village who would sell chickens and eggs to Sphia Flood every week. And he came to Christ, and he grew up, and when he became an adult, he asked the chief if he could start a school in the village. And he said yes. All the children began to come to school, and he led everyone to Jesus Christ. And they all went home and led their moms and dads to Jesus Christ. And now there are 600 baptized believers in that village, including the chief. It's just overwhelmed. When she was married 25 years, the college gave her husband and her a vacation trip to Sweden, and she decided she was going to try to find her father. Turns out he had remarried, he had had four other children, but he was so bitter and angry at God, he'd become an alcoholic. He, she found the, uh, her half-siblings and met them and got acquainted, and, and they told her where her father was, but he was now an older man, 73 years old. He just recently had a stroke, and they warned her, don't say anything about God when you go to meeting. She goes to the place, the address. She goes in the house. He's lying there on a bed in squalor. There are liquor bottles everywhere. It's filthy, and she says, Papa, and someone had told him she would be coming and he rolled over and he began to cry. He said, Aini, I never meant to abandon you. And she wrapped him in her, in her arms. She said, oh, Papa. She said, you didn't abandon me. She said, God took care of me. 
And he was crying, and, and when she said God, he stiffened and he stopped crying. And he said, God abandoned us. And she said, no, Papa, God didn't abandon us. Your sacrifices and Mama's sacrifices were not in vain. There are 600 baptized Christians in that village today. And by the end of the day, he had reconciled with his father. And in a few short weeks, he died. It was some years later when Aggie's husband and her were in London, England for an evangelism, a worldwide evangelism conference. I'm wondering if it might have been Lausanne. And while they were there, there was a man who stood up front. He gave a report from what had been the Congo, was now Zaire. He gave a report. He was a superintendent of 110,000 Congolese believers and a Congolese church network. And afterwards, Aggie went up to him and through an interpreter asked him if she, he had ever known of a woman named Svea Flood. And he said, yes, ma'am. He said, Svea is the most famous member in our village. Because you see, he, she led me to Jesus Christ years and years ago. And then I led our village to Christ. And then those people fanned out and led others to Christ. And I represent 110,000. Congolese Christians. So it's over a period of about 50-some years. And I tell you that story to say you never know. You never know the mark you leave on another's life if your ministries and my ministries are done in the power of the Holy Spirit. We just Never know. Francis Chan says the church becomes irrelevant when it becomes a purely human creation. We are not all we were made to be when everything in our lives and churches can be explained apart from the work and the presence of the Spirit of God. I'm going to have Andrew and the team come up now, and they're going to just play quietly for about a minute. Here's what I want you to do. If, if you are able to stand, I'd like you to stand and just a minute. And I want you to pray about your ministries and just ask God for a fresh filling of your life so that your ministry makes a difference for God's glory and for the advance of the kingdom and for the encouragement of the church. Because if we do ministry in God's power instead of ours, those things will take place. We might never know all that takes place. These stories are rare. This is why I wanted to tell you this. There's, it, it's rare that we get the opportunity to see that bigger picture. But there's one day that we're going to see that big picture. And we're going to see that slideshow in heaven. DVD. All that God has wrought through his people. So would you stand to, feet, to your feet and just, just pray just quietly where you're at about your ministries and ask God for that fresh and filling of the Holy Spirit.
I don't want to run out of gas in my ministry. Whether it's preaching or talking with somebody in my office or talking with a stranger on the street or in an airplane or whether it's just listening to somebody or whether it's warning them against sin or whether it's conversation in the grocery store talking to a telemarketer I want to do ministry full of the Holy Spirit so that there's fruit, eternal fruit, that you might be glorified, the kingdom might be advanced, the body of Christ might be encouraged. That's, that's all of our desires, Lord. Answer our prayer. Fill our lives with the Holy Spirit so that when we minister, we might minister with power. May we be, this, this, this might be a continual seeking not feel like, hey, we live in automatic, we have the Holy Spirit, end of story. Continual seeking. If we have a week-to-week ministry, before we come, we would cry out to you, God, fill us with your Spirit again this morning. When we have a meeting with someone, before we get together, we cry out, God, fill us with your, fill me with your Spirit, so that there might be eternal fruit for your glory. Father, thank you that you would stoop to give us this kind of power. It's almost like giving a child a piece of dynamite. Help us to use it well. And may people's lives be changed as a result. In Jesus' name.